series through the book of Galatians this morning. So if you uh, have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians 6, uh, chap- chapter 6, verse 1, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Galatians 6, verse 1. Um, and I remember to bring Bibles this week, so if you don't uh, have a Bible, or if you have a friend or family member who you'd like to give a Bible to, there's a stack of Bibles up here. We'll try and have these out every week. Feel free to grab one or more of those if you'd like. Um, Galatians, if you're new to scriptures, is about halfway through the New Testament, which puts it pretty close uh, toward the end of your Bibles. And of all the letters that we have from the Apostle Paul, this is believed to be his earliest writing. And in this first letter that we have from him, he is helping the first Christian communities uh, figure out the role of the law in their walk with Jesus. Uh, the law of Moses, giving, given thousands of years earlier at Mount Sinai, had come to dominate Judaism. It was the air that they breathed. And uh, after their temple was destroyed, it was uh, essentially all that they had. So it was very central to Judaism. But as uh, this Jesus movement explodes out of Judaism, uh, everyone is trying to figure out what do we do with the law? What do we do with the Ten Commandments and and the 600 some other commandments that God had given his people? Do we follow them? Are we under them? Should they govern our communities and our lives? Are we bound to them? Do they determine or set the temperature for, for our relationship to God? Are they at all necessary for this salvation that we're learning about in Jesus? What do we do with the law? And Paul spells out very clearly that Christ is the end of the law, that he fulfilled it. It has been uh, done away with. It's been made obsolete. Uh, No longer do we relate to God through any sort of moral or religious code. Now we relate to God through God. And, And Jesus comes and he says, I am the way. So, so no longer do we need a, a written code in, in order as the way to, to relate to God or to get to God. We, we don't need a way to the way. Jesus says, no, I am the way. So we come to him. And in Jesus, that we see that he has done away with the law, that he's accomplished it, that he fulfilled the law, he obeyed the law perfectly in his earthly life. And not only that, but at the end of his earthly life, the culmination, the reason he came was actually to take the full punishment for all of humanity's law-breaking. And Paul says that as a result, uh, Jesus took it all on himself, and now we are free. We're free from sin and sin's power. We're free from the law and the condemnation that we were experiencing under the law. We are totally and utterly free. You're free from the law. You never have to go back again. You never have to place yourself under the law again. You're under grace. You're freed from your past. You're freed from the power of sin, which is truly wonderful news. In fact, you've been given by grace as a gift, the very righteousness of Christ. It's yours. In Christ, it is unshakable. 
And Paul says, we should use all of this new and incredible freedom that we have uh, not to indulge the flesh, uh, not to live in sin, as fun as that sounds, but rather we should use our freedom to walk in step with the Spirit which is actually far more rewarding, far more fun, and it actually leads, Paul says, to more and more life. In Romans, Paul explains that the mind set upon the spirit is life and peace. And those who walk by the spirit, he says here in Galatians, they aren't under the law anymore. If you belong to Christ, you're full of his spirit, you walk by the spirit, you're no longer under the law. The law is not necessary for you. You have the righteousness of Christ and you follow the leading of the spirit. That's how we live before God. But the question still remains, what do we do with sin? You're free from sin's power. As a follower of Jesus, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're free. That's wonderful news. The scriptures tell us that. But the scriptures also say that those who claim to be without sin deceive themselves, which means we aren't slaves to sin anymore. Hallelujah. We thank God for that. We don't have to obey sin. We don't have to obey the flesh. We're freed from that and its power, but we aren't perfect yet. We haven't arrived. By a show of hands this morning, anyone think that they've arrived? Or that they are perfect or without, we got one in the back. Without sin. No. No one but Carrie in the back row. Everyone else has to figure out what do we do with our imperfection. We're freed from sin. Even its, its power, its consequence, its penalty, all of that's been dealt with. But we still have to figure out what we do with our sin, with our imperfection. Uh, we're righteous before God. We're justified. That doesn't shift and change when we sin. We're secure in the grace of God, but we do have to do something about sin in our lives. We have to respond to it, whether it's in our lives or in the lives of those in our community. So what do we do? We'll just read two verses this morning. This is the start of Galatians 6. Galatians 6 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, come before you celebrating this morning uh, that you are king of all generations, that you have uh, come to us, that you've called us by name, that you've called us out of darkness and into the light, and now we belong to you, God. We belong to the light. We are marked by your righteousness. We are marked by being sons and daughters of the living God. Uh, and yet, Lord, we recognize that we live in a fallen world and that we have to deal with junk in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. And so I pray that you would teach us how to do that this morning uh, without sacrificing uh, an inch of uh, your grace, uh, of your beauty, of your majesty, of your grace, of your mercy, of your forgiveness. Uh, would we be drenched in those things, Lord, even as we think about uh, shadows in our own lives and in the lives of those around us? Would you come and touch and heal? And would you show us, Lord, where true freedom lies? In your name. Amen.
Uh, sin has uh, plagued humanity ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. It runs a deep in humanity's bones, and it keeps us from the life that is God himself. Uh, the two are incompatible. So what's the solution uh, to this problem that humanity has? Well, the solution, the, the primary solution, the true solution, is that Christ came to die in our place for our sin. And in doing so, he rescued us from sin and from sin's punishment by sacrificing himself. The scriptures say that by some mystery, uh, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could be free. In this, a sin was uh, accounted for, done away with. Uh, the power of sin was broken. And so when we come as broken people and step into Christ, give our lives to Jesus, the scriptures say we are, we are reborn. We are remade. We're not only free from sin's power, we're actually, we're actually reborn into the family of God. We become new creations. No longer under the power of sin. No longer slaves to sin. We are free in Jesus. But we're not perfect. Our old selves, the scriptures say, are dead and gone. But we're still not perfect. So what happens when we're caught in sin? Uh, or what happens when someone else in the community is caught in sin? Uh, well, if the sin is in us and in our lives, then it's easy enough. We just come to God and we say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made. Thank you that I am righteous in your eyes, not by my own doing, but because of what Jesus has done. And, and Lord, I'm, I'm very sorry for what I've just done. That was, that was very silly. Would you f just forgive me for that? That was a very silly thing to do. That's not in line with who I am and who you've made me to be. That, that's not me. Would, would you forgive me for that? And, and so that's how we, we deal with sin in our own lives very quickly, right away. And, and, and we bring it before God and, and it's, it's forgiven. It's, it's cleansed. It's done away with. We don't have to agonize over it for weeks or for months. Uh, we're still righteous in Jesus. We just come in repentance as quick as we can. And just say, Lord, he here it is. That was a very silly thing for me to do. Would you forgive me for that? And, and, and it's done. Uh, the scriptures also talk about the power of confessing sin to one another. And, and many of you here have experienced that power. Um, it's, it's even scarier, I think, than confessing sin to God, and yet it's even more profound, I think, even, even more powerful. And, and sort of the heavier the sin, um, the more habitual or the more damaging or whatever it might be, the more important it is to truly bring it into the light and share it with someone else who's a follower of Jesus, share it with someone that you trust, and to say, hey, here's what I'm mixed up in, here's what I've done, whatever it is. Uh, and the scriptures say, Hey, confess your sins to each other, to one another, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And I've always found it interesting that it said that. Not just so that you're forgiven before God and you get a, a clean slate, but so you might be healed. There's actually healing in that. And so we're very quick when there's sin in our own lives. We just confess that to one another and we confess that before God 
knowing that we're still righteous, we're still secure in Christ, and that actually gives us the freedom to be able to confess these things even more freely. Say, that's not who I am. I'm sorry, Lord. And, and we confess that to someone we trust and to God. And, and it's amazing the power of speaking those things out loud, especially to another person who's a follower of Jesus. So oftentimes we just bring it into the light by speaking it out loud and boom, something's broken that, that just wouldn't have broken if we, had, if we had kept it in the dark. The enemy would have us run. The enemy would say, oh, you've sinned. You shouldn't come to God. You shouldn't share that with others. Why don't you hide away? Uh, and, and the reality is, as followers of Jesus, we're called to do the exact opposite. The more, you, the more you retreat and kind of hide in the dark because it feels safe, that's usually the place where the enemy really gets to work on you. Now you're isolated, you're hiding, you feel shamed, and, and then he really goes to work in your life. We, we don't mess with that. We just say, no, 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 no. Everybody has this stuff. There's no temptation that you're facing that isn't common to mankind. We just bring it into the light. We're all imperfect. We confess it to one another. Its power is broken and we move forward. We run to the light, not away from the light. So that's what we do uh, with sin in our own lives. But what about sin in the lives of others? That's what this passage is talking about. We, we, we have a concept of, oh, this is what I do when I encounter sin in my own life. But what about sin in the lives of others? What if you see someone else's sin? What if it's very serious? Uh, what if they're caught in something and you're not? What do we do then? And the scriptures, thankfully, uh, give us a way forward. They, they show us how to deal with these situations. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, when someone was caught in sin... There was a punishment under the law. Uh, and if you had committed a capital offense, then the punishment was actually the death penalty. And it was often carried out uh, by stoning. So dealing with sin in the Old Testament community was a very, very serious thing. It, it was a big deal. Uh, it looked more like our modern court systems. That's the, that's the closest equivalent, I think, that we have today. And it was pretty straightforward. You would drag this person before the court, essentially, and you'd say, did this person commit this sin? Yes, they did. Do we have at least two credible witnesses who will testify? Yes, we do. Okay, check that box, check that box. Now it's time for your punishment. You know, now it's, it's time for the death penalty, if it's serious enough. Or now it's time that you repay that person for all the damage that you did to their property or whatever it is. Uh, but but it, was, it was a serious thing and it was a very straightforward thing. Did they commit this sin? Yes or no? Yes, they did. Here's the punishment. Let's carry it out. Justice must be done. But now Paul comes and he says, hey, you're not under the law. You're under grace. And, and you're to walk by the Spirit. And in a spirit-filled community where people are walking by the spirit, it actually brings a radical change, not just to the individual lives of the people who are living that way, but it, it changes the way that we deal with sin in community. First, Paul says in the, in the verses we read this morning, he says, if someone is caught in sin, if it comes to the attention, to your attention or the attention of the community, you who live by the spirit should stone them publicly. No, sorry says you should restore that person gently. That, that should be our attitude, our heart posture, our aim. 
This is life under grace. What's the purpose of approaching someone who's caught in sin? Why, why are you doing that? Well, under the law, the purpose was justice. The purpose was punishment. But not here. In the community of faith, we approach that person for the purpose of restoration. We recognize that sin has a, a degrading effect on those who commit it. It actually harms them. It burdens them. And so Paul says you approach that person with a heart to restore. Not to prove a point. Not to carry out your version of justice. Not to rid the community of this offense. But we come to restore that person. Because this is how Jesus approaches us. This is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He comes to heal and he comes to restore. If the very best place that we could live is in the freedom of Christ, then then let's approach that person in love because we care about them because we want to see them set free and walking in that same freedom. We go for the right reasons because we, we genuinely desire the freedom of the other person because we care. In fact, Paul says the only people qualified to approach that person are, quote, you who live by the Spirit. Now, if if you're living by the Spirit, if you're one of those people, uh, then what sort of fruit are you bearing in your life? Love, joy, we studied these verses last week, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those, those things are being exhibited in your life. They're coming to define your life as you walk by the Spirit. And Paul says, if you're not walking by the Spirit, if you're not exhibiting that fruit, then you can't go to restore them. Send someone else. If those things don't describe you, if people can't look and say, wow, I see the work of the Spirit in this person's life, then you are not qualified to go and restore that person. You have to bite your tongue and you have to find somebody who is qualified and you have to send them to go and restore that person. Someone who will approach them gently, uh, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit and and operating in the power of of the spirit, not with condemnation, not with accusation, but gently. As I was writing uh, the teaching earlier this week, my mind drifted back to a situation that I had on on one of my previous leadership teams back in Portland, uh, Oregon. And I was leading a college ministry there and we had a, a leadership team, about 20 leaders on the leadership team who were then responsible for turning around and kind of loving and serving and pouring into uh, several hundred college students in this community who, who would come uh, once a week to this group. And at one point it came to my attention that one of our uh, male leaders who I knew quite well was pursuing one of our female leaders romantically uh, and he was doing it quite poorly. <laughs> and not just in an awkward way, 
in, in a way that it, that very rude things were being said and very uh, inappropriate advances were being made, and it just didn't. Uh, it, it just felt a million miles away from what I saw as the standard for for leadership in the church. Uh, they were completely incompatible. In fact, when I found out about it, I was I was stirred up. I was I was furious. I was so angry that this person that that I knew well and had been pouring into would would do and say the things that they were doing, um, and this between two leaders who who were you know the eyes of hundreds were kind of on these leaders, and and so I was very uh, up- upset about it. Uh, and I won't get into all of the, the details of what was being said and what was being done. Uh, in fact, um, that wouldn't be helpful for us this morning. And, and actually, I think that's part of what Paul's getting at in the two verses that we read this morning when he says, hey, uh, when you're going to restore somebody, watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Uh, and I think that's actually an important principle that, that whenever we're going to restore someone, whenever we're going to help someone who is caught in sin, uh, we should be careful about the way we do that. We want to come alongside. We want to help them bear that burden. But sometimes it's really not helpful to have all of the gory details. Uh, sometimes when we get too detailed or we get too close to the source that's causing that person to stumble, then we ourselves start thinking in that direction. Oh, wow. I had no idea people were doing those things. I wonder what that is like. Oh, wow. That's, it's that easy. Huh. And, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves tempted as we're attempting to restore someone else. And so there's a sense in which we need to come alongside, understand where people are coming from, carry the burden with them. Uh, but in some cases, we really need to shield ourselves from some of the sources that are causing people to stumble, from some of the, the gory details uh, of that sin or the sources of that sin, so that we're not tempted to do the very same things. So just be aware of that when you're restoring others and we don't want to get mixed up in the same things that we're attempting to pull people out of um we can end up thinking about things that we really have no business thinking about i think that's what paul is after uh, but but needless to say as i was uh, figuring out what to do with this leader i wanted justice i was angry i wanted this person off the leadership team i wanted them you know to have to to just pull all this stuff out into the open i wanted them punished i, I wanted them gone I was just, I was so angry and, and I wanted justice. I wanted an example to be made of this situation. And, and thankfully, before approaching that leader, or I, or I approached him and said, hey, we need to talk, Let, you know, let's meet in a few days. And during those few days, thankfully, I was exposed to some of the things that we're talking about this morning. Uh, and, and I realized the, the goal in this uh, is not condemnation. It's not justice as I define it. It's not humiliation. It's not to set an example. It's not to bring about punishment. My goal actually needs to be restoration, which, which is not what I wanted in, in that moment. That's not, what I was, that's not what I was feeling. That wasn't my natural inclination. But you read verses like this. Hey, you who live by the Spirit should go to restore that person gently. It says you're to bear one another's burdens as a means of fulfilling the law of Christ. So I had to collect myself uh, through that process. I really had to shift my heart uh, before God and, and shift my attitude toward this leader 
And uh, Matt Karsh, one of my close friends in ministry, we were serving together. So I brought him with me into this process for just more openness and accountability. And the two of us sat down with this leader and we talked to him about what happened. Hey, let's sort this out. Let's confess sin where there needs to be a confession. Let's get to the root of this. Let's figure out how deep the problem goes. What, where is all of this coming from? What's provoking you in that direction? And, and by the time we finally sat down to confront him, my attitude had shifted from one of condemnation into one of restoration. And what resulted from that is that we had multiple conversations. They were very difficult conversations, as sometimes these are. But through the course of these conversations, we got to the root of some of this stuff. We found out that in his past life before Jesus, there had been all sorts of brokenness and all sorts of sexual sin that had warped the way that he was viewing women, made it very difficult for him to conceptualize a healthy relationship. On top of that, um, his father was alive and around, but had never really given any input or guidance into how you should pursue a woman or how, like how you should think about women. He'd never received any of that. We realized, wow, there's these things in his life that are really contributing to this. And so we did a number of things. First, we had him just come up and we said, you, just before the two of us, you have to be as open and honest as you possibly can. We need you to just confess everything that's there. Uh, and, and he did that. Uh, and then coming out of that, we, we brought in this, this female leader and we made sure that there was reconciliation there. And that the air was cleared. And then coming out of that, we, we had him come before the leadership team. And we didn't give all the details, but he made it clear that he was stepping down from the leadership team to give extra time and space for him to grow uh, in, in his personal life and in the things that he was going through. And then after that, uh, the two of us, Matt Karsh and I, committed to walking with this leader. We met with him regularly. And our heart, our eye, our aim was restoration. <laughs> We want to see you walking in the freedom of Christ. We want you to see you transformed. We want to see you restored. And we told them that from the very beginning, from day one, we said, we're doing this because we love you and we're doing this because we want to see you restored. We, we sense that God has a call on your life and we don't want to see you miss that. But we have to deal with these things if you're going to be used in that way. And, and so we walked through him for months. We did that. And in some cases, we were playing that fatherly role and saying, hey, here's how you should think about women. Here's how you should treat a woman. Here's how you should pursue a woman. And throughout the whole process, he began to exhibit uh, a lot of humility and a, and a lot of eagerness to learn and to grow. And we actually saw real character change. And eventually, after, after enough months, we were able to give him a path back in. Hey, here's how you can start serving again. And here's what we need to see. Hey, here's how you can start slowly leading again. Here's the things that we want to see. We, the whole thing was done with a heart toward restoration. And, and as a result, now years later, that young man has, has exhibited real transformation to my knowledge, his relationship, his attitude toward women and his, uh, his pursuit of women has completely transformed and shifted. It's been healthy ever since coming out of that process. And he's dedicated his life to serving the Lord and leading in the church. But looking back, if we had done things my way with my impulse toward justice and punishment and making an example and ridding this sin from our leadership team, then, then it would have changed the trajectory of his life. 
Uh, in, in all likelihood, he would have ended up outside of the church community for months, for years, for decades. Who knows? Maybe he never would have felt like he was fully restored. It could have affected the path of his entire life. But notice the difference. If I had gone with this Old Testament, Old Testament sense of here's what you've done, now here is your punishment, it would have changed everything. But because we went in with a heart of loving correction and reconciliation and forgiveness and freedom and, and res- restoration, because those things were our goal, a whole new world of possibilities has opened up and, and God's kingdom is continuing to advance through that. Because we chose, quote, to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So three um, really simple takeaways this morning as we close. Some godly direction on dealing with sin in community. Number one, if you're taking notes, send someone spirit-filled. If that's you, then awesome. That's great. You should go. If that's not you, then that's fine. Find someone else in the community who does meet those qualifications and send them. They should be exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit that we looked at last week at the end of chapter 5. So number one, send someone who's Spirit-filled. Number two, send them with the goal of restoration. Not condemnation, not ridding sin from the community, not punishment or making an example of someone, but you or whoever's going should go in thinking, my goal is to see you restored and flourishing in the Lord. That's my goal. That's why I'm approaching you. That's what I want. That's what I'm praying for. We don't live under the law. We live under grace. And Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we want that freedom in our lives. We want that freedom in the lives of others. What would it look like to see this person restored and walking in freedom? So number one, we send someone spirit-filled. Number two, we send them with the goal of restoration. And finally, we think about what it looks like to bear one another's burdens. And this is going to be different in every situation. I mentioned earlier that that we don't need all the gory details of their sin. Sometimes that's not helpful. But you do need to find out how deep things go and how you might come alongside them. In humility, in love, with the heart to restore, what does it look like for me in this situation to help bear the burden of this? Send someone spirit-filled Send them with the goal of restoration and think about what it looks like to bear one another's burdens in love as we follow Jesus together. You should go in saying, I'm walking in step with the Spirit. My goal is to see you restored and flourishing, and I want to know how I can help you carry this burden. How can I come alongside you the way that Christ and the Holy Spirit do for us? Let's pray. Lord, uh, we come before you this morning um, praising you for what you've done in us 
uh, in transforming us and giving us the very righteousness of Christ uh, in setting us free, Lord, from sin and from sin's power and from sin's uh, penalty. Uh, And yet we realize, Lord, that though we will be perfect one day in your presence in the new heavens and the new earth, we're not there yet. We haven't attained perfection yet. And therefore, every single person here has those qualities of imperfection. Uh, Sin in in the Old Testament was simply a different way of saying you're missing the mark. And and all of us miss the mark. All of us fall short in in different ways. And so, uh, Lord, we pray that... Uh, As we come before you this morning, celebrating who you are, celebrating what you've done for us, uh, we start, Lord, by just um, confessing our own sin, sin in our own lives. As we come before you in worship, we just give it to you, Lord. Uh, We don't run. We don't hide. We don't um, pack it away in some hidden place and carry it for years. Instead, we just come before you openly, freely, and we just confess, knowing that you're there, that you run to us in your love and in your mercy and, and it gives us an incredible degree of freedom. And so we come even now, Lord, and, and if things are burdening us, if they're rushing to, our, to our, our mind, if they're burdening our heart, if our shoulders feel heavy, God, we just give those things to you, knowing that you've already done uh, what was necessary to free us. And we come confessing, Lord, because we want to be free. And Lord, I pray um, that as we uh, encounter Uh, issues or problems in our community. Maybe it's in our small group, our missional community, uh, our spouse, our kids, our our roommates, our whoever it is. We're going to have those times where we feel stirred, Lord, and we know something needs to be done. This this person needs help. This can't, we can't just pretend like it's not there. Uh, But Lord, would you um, fill us with your spirit or show us the people who are Uh, Would you give us a heart, Lord, of love, of restoration? Would we uh, love the other person as much as we love ourselves, Lord? Would we restore the other person the way that we would would long to be restored and often need to be restored ourselves? Would would we be a community of love, a a community of restoration, a community of humility, uh, a community that bears one another's burdens? Thank you, Jesus, that condemnation has been blown right out of us, has been blown right out of the community by the cross, and that we're now free to just pursue your freedom, not under the law, not under any form of legalism, but but pursuing freedom for the sake of being free. Show us what it looks like, Jesus. Give us a hunger for that freedom in ourselves and in others, and show us what it looks like to walk in your grace for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.